Uh, I invite you to open up your Bibles at this point to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Uh, We're going to be continuing in our series, Being Formed. And this series began in looking at the image in Luke 13 of of manure, Uh, but it was also an image of a fig tree that wasn't bearing any fruit. And one of our reflections in that passage uh, was that it took the time of being absorbed in a space of nourishment uh, for that fruit to be, or for that tree to be bearing fruit later on. Uh, The next week, we looked at Proverbs chapter 4, and we looked at the different ways that we are being formed in the world through our day-to-day practices, and how these different things can actually uh, deform us or form our desires and our loves in in ways that are disordered. Today we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, and we're also going to be looking at this passage two weeks from now as ways in which we are formed rightly or being reformed or renewed into the image of Christ and into God's image. Uh, Next, or this week, we're going to be looking at this in kind of our day-to-day practices, and the next time we're going to be looking at this as how we're actually being formed in the worship service itself. Uh, Let's turn to Colossians 3, 1 through 14. Uh, The title of the message is Get Dressed. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The word of the Lord Thanks be to God. Uh, Last year, 
maybe a year and a half ago, I went snorkeling in a river or a creek with Corwin, who we just saw. Um, it seemed like a bit of an odd thing to do, but I was invited, so I went. Uh, the water was freezing, and it wasn't a particularly warm day, uh, but I thought I'd check it out. Um, when I got there, I was introduced to this. Uh, this is a wetsuit, I believe, and it fits quite snug. Uh, it was a bit of a wrestling match to get that thing on. Uh, maybe it's because I'm taller than most people, uh, but I was assured that that's how it was supposed to feel. We went with a group of people, and I went with the strategy that I think most of us would probably do when we weren't quite sure of, of how to get it on. I kind of just waited to see how other people were doing it. Were there particular maneuvers that we had to do to get the thing all the way over our shoulders? Now, I, I've been dressing myself for years, like decades even, but this type of clothing was unfamiliar to me. It took some intense concentration to figure out how to get this thing on properly. Now, compare that to my regular everyday clothing. Like, I don't mean to brag, uh, but I can put on my clothes without even thinking about it. Like, I can have a conversation while I'm putting on my socks in the morning. It's no problem. Uh, but that's, beca that's not because I was some sort of like sock putting on prodigy. Uh, it's because I learned how to do this over time. If you've seen children try to put on their clothes, it's, it's this labyrinth. They don't know how to get this thing on, but they've been apprenticed. They've had other people show them how to put it on. They've practiced putting it on over and over again. And we forget this process that it took. But over time, it becomes natural. It becomes second nature. You don't even have to think about it as you're doing it. Clothing ourselves is a learned skill. And I remember particularly one of my nephews a couple of years ago proudly proclaiming that he could put on his jacket all by himself. And like the next five minutes was just like an act of restraint from all the adults, watching him just like try to figure out which armhole is the right one. And we, you want to help. And, and thankfully now, as a couple of years has gone on, he can put on his jacket no problem. Uh, but this was a skill that had been learned over time. And this type of thinking helps us in understanding what it means to put on Christ. To get a good sense of what Paul is communicating to the church of Colossae. And this is a repeated image throughout scripture. You find it in Romans chapter 13 as well. This image of putting on Christ. These sorts of things take repetition it takes apprenticing. We need to have other people show us how to do it. And it will take extra thought as we begin in our practices. But our hope is that these things become natural and automated in us over time. With that in mind, let's look specifically again at how Paul is telling people to get dressed in verse 12 here. Therefore... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We might be familiar with this type of language of putting on Christ. It's just kind of 
Christian vocabulary. Uh, when in doubt, just say, like, we, we have to put on Christ, and it just kind of sounds right. But in, in our familiarity with that language, we sometimes forget how simple of a metaphor this actually is in understanding how we are to take on the Christian life, that we are to put on certain things, and this is something that we are to practice. Our being in Christ is something that we are to be formed in as we do it time and time again. So looking back at our passage, this time starting in verse 7, Look at how there's this connection between our walking and our doing things and what we are putting on. It says, you used to walk in these ways, in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. These are desire kind of based things, and they're also action things. It's the speaking and the anger. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Uh, the, the old self has practices that are associated with it, and so is this new self that we are to put on. So, in contrast to that old self that had all of these negative actions associated with it, we are to put on a new self and a new set of practices. The Christian life involves shaping our desires so that they work deeply within us and we become accustomed to acting that way, that we hardly have to think of it anymore. It's meant to become instinctual within us. This has a connection to last week's message. Last week, we looked at the image of the mall, uh, how when we go to the mall, uh, we have these actions that we do. We, we sort through the racks of clothing. We try on the clothes, and, and we try to get the thing that, that we desire. We try to get that sense of satisfaction, the thing that we want or the thing that we need. And, and this is actually training us in our wants and in our loves. It's training us to look there again to get that same feeling. The various parts of the shopping experience are curated to form our desires, and they don't need to do this with lectures or with, with doctrines or anything. We just know that's where we go when we need that type of fulfillment. Now, this is not a foreign concept to Christianity. In fact, Colossians chapter 3 gives a great example of the type of formation that our desires and our loves that, that Christians are meant to have. So here, Paul is telling people to try on something for themselves. They are invited to act in ways of compassion and of love and to stop the old practices that deform them to form themselves as people who are made in the image of God. Let's look at this in verse 14. In verse 14, you find the language of virtue here. Um, over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. I like this image, first of all, of of love being the thing that ties it all together. Love is part of the outfit. It's that essential part of the outfit that just makes everything work. 
uh, but also when he's pointing at the different virtues or pointing at the different uh, qualities that we are to have, Paul uses the word virtue, or we find the word virtue in the NIV. Virtue is basically talking about good habits. Virtues throughout the church history is talking about these good qualities that we're supposed to cultivate within ourselves. And we develop them by practicing it, by trying them out. Now, we're supposed to be formed into these different ways. And this is supposed to be kind of like getting dressed, that it becomes more and more natural over time. Like the wetsuit. Like it might take some straining. It might take looking at it and thinking, I'm, I'm going to need some help in figuring out how to put this one on. Uh, if, if you're in a time that needs particular patience or where you're in a place where you need forgiveness, you might have to look around and see, how are other people doing this? But as we are used to trying it on, as we get to know how it is that we put on these things, it is meant to become more and more natural. Now, we are supposed to do that with all sorts of things, um, and, and we can do this throughout our lives. We see it in different examples. Um, for those of you who have been driving a car for a while, you might know this type of feeling. Uh, when you first started driving, you had to think about all the little tiny steps that we had to do. We had to check the mirrors and, and know where to shift and, and where to put everything. But as time has gone on, you've gotten used to it. And perhaps you have been driving from school or from your workplace and you've been thinking about a particular assignment or what's going to be happening later that evening and all of a sudden you're home. And you don't remember the actual ride home that you, you had automated these practices that used to be foreign. It's not that you are a bad driver. It's that you have practiced these things so much that, that you were able to do them almost on autopilot. And we do this with all sorts of things. This is, can be in putting on our socks or driving the car. And throughout Christian history, that's how virtues have been thought about. Things that we develop in ourselves to the point that it becomes second nature. Uh, and second nature is a good image for this. Second nature, like first nature things would be things like breathing. You don't have to think about breathing. Probably no, none of us were thinking about breathing until right now where it's been mentioned. But things that are second nature are just like that. There are things that are repeated in us in such a way that we just do them automatically. This is where virtues are, are different than just following the rules. I think sometimes virtues get a, a bad rap because we're just thinking of, okay, I have to follow a particular way of doing things. Uh, but when the, the early church thought about virtues, they thought it was actually the, kind of the opposite of rules. Rules are these external forces that are working against us to make sure that we're following down a good path. Virtues are these guards that kind of make sure that we don't go far off. Whereas virtues are internal. If, if we are developed in our virtue, then we won't need the guards on the side. We're able to follow on that path. We are able to act in freedom to the good things that God has created us for. 
It may feel a little bit foreign to us at first, but once we're practiced, we can do it without thinking about it. So with with that all in mind, what are little ways that we can develop some of these practices in our lives? Uh, What ways can we be practicing patience and generosity? Uh, I know of some people that, that do this um, they've, they've introduced the practice for themselves of, of parking a little bit further than they need to uh, whenever they're in a parking lot. And, and they do this trying to think of the other person that might need to be a little bit closer. And it's not that they go to the far end of the parking lot. They're not like trying to show off of how many people that they're helping out. It's, it's not like pride's not a virtue there. But they're doing this regular habit in their day-to-day living, just to, to build in a sense of acting generously towards others. What, what ways can we be bringing just these little habits, little ways of opening ourselves to others? In our passage, uh, it talks about being renewed into God's image. Uh, this is in verse 9 here. Uh, putting on the new self being renewed in the knowledge of the image of the creator. And when it looks at what does it mean to be renewed into the image of the creator, it talks about putting on things like this, like compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So putting on, being renewed, means that we grow in these things without even necessarily having to think about it. And to put that in another way, if we have to think really hard about being patient or about being generous, that's a sign that those virtues haven't really been fully formed in us. That having to think about it means that this is something that we need to continue to cultivate and build within us. Have we been practicing these things so much that they're becoming second nature? Do we catch ourselves just doing something generous? Or does it take a lot of effort? Uh, I ask these things knowing that it will always take some effort for us because there's brokenness in the world uh, because of sin. Uh, last week, we, we made that acknowledgement. We need to constantly guard our heart. We need that constant vigilance because we're in a world of brokenness where our desires are always going to be pushed in some different way. Until God's kingdom fully comes, we will never be completely effort-free. We will always have deforming forces at work, forces of evil, of selfishness and pride, Greed and envy, as they're named in earlier on in our passage. These are things that have always been trying to distort our desires. And it takes this effort. It takes this apprenticing, being with other Christians in figuring out how to form our loves in the right way. And, and notice that this takes more than just thinking the right things. We, we can't think our way into virtue formation. Uh, Memorizing verses 12 through 14 doesn't automatically 
mean that you will be a kinder person. We, we need to do these things. We need to act into these things. And we do them as people who are attentive to the Spirit's work in us. And that last part is essential. That, that this isn't done on our own efforts. We don't just practice these virtues as though we are making ourselves better. We do so with an openness to the Spirit, with, with the nourishment that we're, we're meant to sit in in order to be fruitful people. This is something that we depend on God working in and through us to renew us daily, to help us taking off what is wrong and putting on what is good. It's not simply a matter of trying our best, but we need the Spirit. And notice that that's kind of embedded into our language here. I don't have, oh, it's right here. Of, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Uh, it's, It's, we respond as people that are loved first. We don't just clothe ourselves with compassion on our own strength, but we do so as those who are loved by God. Now, this idea of sin being a distortion of our our desires is actually a very old idea. It actually takes us back to the garden story of Genesis 1 through 3, where people choose their own desires. They, They re order their desire towards love towards themselves rather than God. And sin, ever since then, has been about our desires being distorted. As we find in verse 5 of our passage, it's these things of lust, evil desires, and greed. These are forms of rebelling and and this rebelling is actually deserving of the wrath of God. And this is why in the Christian image of salvation, it states that, being, that we are being renewed into the image of God, the one who made us. The story goes that we were created in the image of God, but after the fall, our image-bearing capacity was changed, and we needed someone to restore it. The image was renewed in Christ, who not only showed us what it meant to be human in the fullest sense, but also gave the way to live it through the forgiveness that Jesus offers. So it's, it's Jesus, in a supreme act of love, does what no one else could do. In Jesus' death and resurrection, he opens up the ability for renewed relationship with God, for restored relationship. And in receiving for forgiveness, we are asked to respond in kind. We are called to respond in kind. Notice the call to forgive also points back to the reality that we are already forgiven. This is in verse 13 here, where it says, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone, but, but we are to forgive as the Lord forgave you. It, it's, it's based on a reality of forgiveness, that we are to offer forgiveness. Basically, in this passage, um, Jesus is the one that saves us our sins, but he doesn't just leave us alone. 
we're justified by faith, and we are being equipped into lives of freedom against the evil powers. We resist the things that deform us. And the list in for, uh, of our different virtues finishes in love, and that shouldn't be something that surprises us because that is what we were created for. We were created to participate in this divine love, this Trinitarian love that, that God has been in the midst of throughout eternity. And he creates all of his creation to join into that love. Now, I want to finish with a particular note here. And that is a bit of a fear that this could actually be considered by some to be a call to be inauthentic. That we have to act one way even though our desires are telling us to act another way. We are to... Um, this, I guess this is one of the most serious accusations that you can make in our culture, um, that we're being fake, that we're not following our inner desire, that we're not following the thing that is speaking within us. But the Christian response is that our claim to the formation into the image of Christ is actually a call to your truest self. That, that the other ways are actually deforming us, and this is a formation back to true freedom. And uh, an image uh, from a, a documentary from one, one of my friends who's an artist uh, recently had a little documentary made about him. And he does this fantastic art, and he often, in this Documentary has been asked a lot of questions, and some of them talked about originality. Uh, how does he make such original different pieces? And he finds the question itself to be a, a little aggravating or a little absurd, because originality was never really the goal. Um, how can you learn to paint without copying and, and imitating the great artists that were before him? If he, over time, gets, gets to a level of skill and mastery where, where he's painting uh, the things that he loves and people see that as original, that's just the result of good imitation over time. His authentic work comes from being apprenticed. It comes from practice. It comes from doing it over and over again. And, and my friend particularly names this, um, this obsession of being original with Christians being a little bit strange. How could a people who were be ca being called to be conformed into the image of one man be so concerned about originality? It's only an imitation of the true image that we discover to authentically navigate this world in true freedom. It's only being renewed into the image of Christ that we no longer have bondage to our old selves. And this is the, the gospel image that I want to leave you with. That we are to go our many different ways, practicing habits of compassion, graciousness, patience, and more. That these dwell within you and open up a life of freedom for you, of greater freedom as we practice them more and more. 
a life that is more and more free from the constraints of selfishness and your own desires taking control of you. That as we practice them, they form a deep sense of self, of who we are as people in Christ. Next week, we're going to look a little bit more at how the worship service itself, how our gathering on Sundays is something that is meant to form us and form us in our desires. But for today, I want us to focus in on more day-to-day things, and specifically in our households. So I have a few questions. You can feel free to write them down. Uh, We're going to give a little bit of time just to consider them, and then I'll finish with a prayer. First, do our day-to-day practices exude the compassion of Christ? What would an audit of our daily rhythms look like in our households? What what would it mean to do inventory on our day-to-day practices? Would they show us that we're being renewed into the likeness of Christ? Or perhaps put it this way, how can home be a place to recalibrate our hearts? A phrase that I appreciate from James K. Smith's book, uh, where some of these insights are coming from, You Are What You Love, he says, every house has a hum. Every house has a beat, a rhythm to which they live their lives. So is our house hum one that goes to the tune of the gospel? Or for parents, uh, whether your children are three or they're 30, what does it mean to raise people who love What what does it look like to parent your children as people who are not just thinkers, but directed by their loves and their desires? This is something that I'm reflecting on as I look towards the arrival, or as Elisa and I look towards the arrival of our child. What does looking at the child as one who is guided by loves and desires and not just thoughts and knowledge impact how we disciple and teach them about the Christian faith? Let's turn to God in prayer as as we consider uh, what some of these things mean for our lives. Dear Lord, form us as we take off the old self and put on the new. May we be formed more and more into the knowledge and the likeness of you. Bring our knowledge that comes in life lived. May we learn from your incarnation where you showed us not only how to live, but brought us the way to life in your death and resurrection. In a world of excarnation, where our desires are being deformed away from you and being distorted, prompt us by your spirit into ways that mold us back into your image. May this draw us into the true freedom of life in Christ. Amen.